Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we continue our series, Next Level. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Hey, guys. How you doing? good? I'm pretty good, uh, but I got this rash over the weekend and like all over my body and it is bad. Like the doctor said not to scratch it or it would spread. And let me tell you, he was right. Wow. I mean like all over. It's, it's really, it's painful. It's something else. I hope that's not like TMI, I just wanted to share it with like 700 of my closest friends. Um, in fact, if you're back then, you can't see, I actually, actually brought a picture of the rash here. I'm kidding, what's wrong with you? I didn't, no, no, of course not. Okay, so I don't actually have a rash, but I do, I do have to confess something. Uh, I fell asleep on the couch yesterday watching office reruns, and I broke my glasses and the only spare glasses I have are these, like, really awesome 80s-inspired dad glasses. <laughs> and I have to wear them to see the notes, so you're just going to have to deal with this. I'm so sorry. Um, 1987 called. They want their swagger back. <laughs> but today we're talking about authenticity, and isn't it true that, like, when it comes to authenticity, to, to vulnerability, we tend to fit in, like, maybe one of two categories? Like, you have the, the TMI guy, right? who's like always oversharing, you're like, bro, that is plenty enough. But I think on the other side, though, you, you have the other camp that's sort of like, yeah, you know, vulnerability, authenticity, that's like not really my thing, right? Like for whatever reason, we sort of like exist in one of these two extremes. And I think at the, at the heart level, we all desire deep, authentic relationships. In fact, I, I don't think we just desire it. I think we're, we're hardwired for it. In Christian theology, uh, God is described as what we call Trinitarian, uh, the three-in-one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So essentially what that means is that in God himself is this relationship, this community of authentic love, grace, and beauty. So, so if we're the image bearers of this three-in-one God, wouldn't it make sense then that you and I would desire like deep, way down, this like real, authentic vulnerability. I think it makes perfect sense that we would long for that. In fact, I think we were built for it. The Apostle Paul, in a letter, puts it this way. He says, from him, meaning Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul is often using this analogy of the body. He's like, we, we together are like a body, and a body doesn't just exist. It like grows and functions and does work together. Paul is saying that's what we were created Four, we're joined together and we grow together. So during this series, we're, we're talking about cultivating these really important relationships that we're calling next level friendships. Now, as a quick aside, if you're here today and you're thinking, finally, 
finally, I can get some pastoral advice for how to get out of the friend zone with that special someone. Uh, I'm very sorry to disappoint. This is not that talk. This is actually about unpacking what it means to deepen relationships below the surface. It's sort of an age of like quick hellos and goodbyes in social media where everyone seems to have more going on and we're uh, seemingly more connected but less and less actually relationally together. I think it's critical that we talk about what, it, what does authenticity look like in our day and age. Last week, we talked about next level friendships beginning with availability, just being available. But being present and accounted for isn't the whole story. Like, has anyone ever had coffee with someone and they were like physically there, but like they were clearly somewhere else? Like they're looking on their phone or they're looking over your shoulder. It's, it starts with availability, but we have to then take it to authenticity. What does it mean to be a people of authenticity? Well, there's, there's one story in the Bible uh, that I think illustrates this really beautiful, beautifully. It's the story of uh, a guy named Jonathan and a guy named David. Now, when you step back and look at their story, their, their friendship is really surprising. Because you, ha- you have Jonathan, the son of a king, and then you have David, who's like a shepherd boy. Like, not a blip on anyone's radar. But there's actually a, a lesser-known story that I think will help shed some light into their relationship. In 1 Samuel 14, this is way before David's even mentioned in the Bible, uh, we find the Israelites in a pretty bad place. So essentially what had happened was King Saul didn't really bring like the deliverance and the success that they were hoping that he would. And their army's been conquered multiple times. And so the Israelites at this point are sort of, they're terrified and they're kind of in hiding as, uh, as this Philistine army just sort of taunts and threatens them again and again. So uh, apparently, eventually one day, King Saul's son, Jonathan, has just like had enough. He, he can't take it anymore. And this is what he says. Uh, he's talking to his armor bearer here. And he says, let's cross over to the camp of those heathen Philistines. Which, by the way, if you want, to, if you want an insult to really land, a word like heathen really kind of helps drive that home, right? Like the Philistines, which Philistines? Oh, the heathen ones, right on. Um, maybe the Lord will help us. If he does, nothing can keep him from giving us the victory, no matter how few of us there are. Okay, so real talk, real talk, how uninspiring is that, right? Like, he's essentially saying to his armor bearer, like, hey, maybe the Lord will deliver us. Maybe we'll get slaughtered right away. Like, we don't, we don't, really, we don't really know. He's essentially saying, let's head over to their camp, and uh, if they call us up, we'll know that that's a sign from God, that God has given us the victory, and we'll proceed accordingly. We'll defeat the army that like my dad's 600-person army couldn't defeat. Um, so here's Jonathan's big plan. And uh, so they go over. They saunter over to the garrison, and the Philistines say, hey, come on up. We want to show you something, or whatever they said. So they, they begin to attack, and here's what happens. This crazy earthquake just starts to rattle the whole area. And in fact, it so alarms the Philistines that they think a way bigger army is attacking them than it actually is. They're, they get so caught off guard, so confused, that they actually begin to fight each other. They get, they get so caught up in what's happening around them, they begin fighting each other, and the Israelites are given the victory. 
They start fighting each other. The Israelites are given the victory and the Philistines are driven back to their own country. So it's really no surprise then that like 15 plus years later, when Jonathan sees David, this like little no-name shepherd boy, standing before the giant Philistine Goliath with nothing more than a small slingshot and big faith in God, that they feel this, this natural connection. First Samuel chapter 18 says this, Jonathan was deeply impressed with David. An immediate bond was forged between them. He became totally committed to David. From that point on, he would be David's number one advocate and friend. He'd become his number one advocate and friend. Now, I think Jonathan actually had every right to resent David because later we see that God has appointed David to be the next king. But who is Jonathan again? He's, he's the son of the existing king. He had every right, I think, to be upset with David. But because of Jonathan's selflessness, this really beautiful, deep friendship was forged. And so we see throughout the next coming chapters that they share openly with one another their struggles, their fears, their hopes, like something men that we're, we're already really good at doing, right? Just openly sharing our fears and hopes and dreams. Well, King Saul becomes so enraged by David for a couple of reasons. One, the people like him, like a, a lot. And he keeps getting victory after victory after victory. So the existing sitting king sees this pipsqueak David who just kind of keeps crushing it, to be honest. And uh, he grows more and more jealous. So Saul goes to his HR department and they decide you should just kill him. Yeah, just, that's a good plan. Just, just kill David. So Saul, on multiple occasions, tries to kill David, which, okay, so quick time out. How, how many of our relationships were, would survive if that was the dynamic, Right? There's, n- there's not a lot of friendships where like, w- like one friend's dad is trying to kill the other friend. That kind of puts a damper on things, doesn't it? Like that makes holidays real awkward. But, but David still chooses to trust Jonathan. And in fact, David's trust allows Jonathan the opportunity to meet his needs. In chapter 23, it says this, so David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. So David's not a dummy. He's like, ah, I see what's going on here. You don't seem to like me very much. And he's actually kind of freaked out because this isn't just some random guy trying to take his life. This is the king. So that's messing with David's head. So David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horus. So he's like, I'm, I'm out of here, right? He's, he's terrified. He's freaked out. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. If you're following along, I want you to underline, highlight, stars, circles, strengthened his hand in God. I love that. Because what Jonathan doesn't do is like pat him on the back and be like, there, there. Uh, God never gives us more than we can handle, right? He doesn't say, hey, just let go and let God, man. He doesn't say, hey, when God closes a door, he opens a chimney or whatever they had at that time. Like he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do any of that. The text says he strengthened his hand in the Lord. Essentially what Jonathan does is he looks him in the eye and says, listen, I know you're freaked out, man. I know that this is actually really overwhelming. 
But do not forget the promises of God. God has promised that you will be king. And hasn't God been faithful already? I'm not going anywhere and neither is God. I mean, how, how many of us could use some friendships like that in our life, right? No sanctimonies, no, no platitudes, but to look us in the eye and say, man, I know you're freaking out. I know that it's been a rough week, month, year. Don't forget the promises of God. I'm not going anywhere and neither is he. That's a next level friendship. That's the kind of authenticity that doesn't just pretend that it's not all that bad, but it doesn't actually try to make things go away with pithy truisms either. It says, don't forget. In fact, that's actually one of the attributes we're given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It says that, that the Holy Spirit will remind us of the things that we already knew to be true. Isn't that the case often? Like we don't, we don't actually need some new brilliant revelation. We need to be reminded of the things we already knew to be true in our lives. Next level friends, they do that for each other. They stand with one another. They strengthen each other in the Lord. I remember uh, in college, um, I just, I kind of started to spiral a little bit, to be honest. A a bunch of really important relationships kind of fell apart and I was questioning my call to ministry and I was questioning my degree and I I was questioning everything and I just, it all just sort of started to unravel for me, to be honest. And I, I don't know how you are when kind of the bottom drops out, but for me, uh, my tendency is to retreat, is to like withdraw, step back, and then like slowly put up walls. And by the grace of God, I realized that that's what I was doing. My life felt like it was spinning out of control. I was, I was kind of withdrawing from everyone, even the people that I think were really truly trying to help me. And I knew in a moment who my Jonathan was. And I called him up, and he, he didn't live nearby, but he, he like drove to be with me, and he just sat with me, and he wept with me as I, I just sort of, I just told him the whole raw, uncut story. You know those kind of friends where you don't, you don't have to sugarcoat anything? You're like, here's what's really going on. Here's, I, I really missed the mark here big, and here's really honestly what I'm feeling. I just got to like lay it all out. And he sat with me. And he prayed with me and he reminded me of what God had said. He was my Jonathan. He strengthened my heart in the Lord. I I found truth and I found grace. And the amazing thing is I, I didn't just grow closer to my friend in this interaction. I grew closer to God as well. That's what next level friendships do. But here's the thing. Like I'm... Okay, I'm not naive. Like, I know that it doesn't always go that way, right? Like, has anyone here ever been vulnerable with someone and it, like, didn't pan out well? Like, they betrayed your trust or they gave you really terrible advice or they got distracted by Facebook. Whatever it is, like, we know that it doesn't always, like, end with this, like, really powerful, hugging, moving moment. A lot of times, our vulnerability is really taken for granted, and so I think a lot of us create different barriers. So I want to I talk about a few of the barriers, and I want to challenge us to live authentically in a couple of ways. And, you know, if this list doesn't totally speak to you, maybe fill in your own blank. But I have a feeling that one of these barriers will, will probably be close to maybe something that someone here is struggling with. I think even though we long for these meaningful connections, 
we all have a tendency to put up different barriers. Your barrier might be people-pleasing. People-pleasing, you have this like relentless need to be liked, right? You, want, you just want everybody to be happy all the time. And when that's the case, when that's your barrier, it makes it very, very hard for our true self to be known, doesn't it? Because I just want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to be pleased and okay and calm, right? People-pleasers often have a hard time saying no to anything, so they just take on more and more and more things because, they, you know, we want everyone to be happy. But when we take on more and more things, it can just leave us feeling overwhelmed. It can leave us feeling like at our end and really, truly creates a real barrier to be authentic with one another. Another barrier, uh, I think, is comparison. Has anyone here ever uh, compared yourself to anyone else? <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure no one in this room, right? It sounds something like maybe she's so much more talented than I am. He's so much more gifted than I am. His mullet's so much more majestic than mine. Whatever it is, whatever the comparison is for you, we kind of run this script in our heart, in our head, and when we compare ourselves, we're kind of always face-to-face with this thought that we just don't measure up. And I think when that's kind of our main narrative, it's really difficult to be authentic because we live in fear that someone will see how much we don't measure up. How I'm not actually as good, as successful, as funny, as holy as I, I kind of give off that I am. Which brings me to number three. Maybe the barrier is perfectionism. Perfectionists really can't make peace with their vulnerabilities, right? Because they're trying to give off at least the appearance of perfection at all times. This is kind of what we do with Instagram, isn't it? Right? Instagram is always stuff like six-course meal, five days in a row, me and my boo, loving life, click, right? <laughs> Baby sleeps through the night, always, yes. <laughs> like, like, no one ever is like, Wendy's again, right? <laughs> Three weeks in a row, like, just got done screaming with my wife. Like, no one's, no one's posting that. We're always sharing, like, the best versions of ourselves at all times. Like, okay, moment of truth. How many of you know what I'm talking about if I, if I said something like, has anyone ever put on a church smile before? Oh, yeah, a rumble washes over the crowd, yeah. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You could, you could be screaming in the van on the way over here, but the moment that you walk through those doors, what is it, like, I love Jesus, <laughs> right? My kids are all in matching Christmas plaid, right? And then what happens the moment that you get back into the van? It's right. We just pick up right. Listen, I'm from a family of nine. That was our every Sunday, okay? That was constant in our household. But when we have this need for like everyone to think we're like way more put together than we actually are, of course it's going to be terrifying for someone to actually know us, to actually see us scars and all. Of course that's going to be difficult for us to allow others to see our authentic, imperfect selves. The last barrier I want to talk about is workaholism. I think workaholism, uh, that one might surprise you because it seems different on this list, doesn't it? But I think behind workaholism is this constant need to do things, right? To like just always be filling my time with something, to always be saying yes to something, to always be accomplishing something. And I think if you really drill down, what workaholism is saying is I, I think I'm as valuable as the thing I can create or provide. I'm only as good as my output. 
And so we begin to hang our identity on the things that we can accomplish. And we take on more and more things. It makes it hard for us to live authentically because we become human doings, not human beings. And we have no time for honest self-reflection. How, how can we be true with ourselves if we're always filling our time with things? Now, I think at the core of all these is, is fear, to be honest. It's the fear of being truly seen. So what do we do? What do, you, what do you do with that? We all have lies. We all have schedules. We all have our stuff. How do we actually take steps towards being authentic? I think, I think it starts by making the courageous choice. And I use the word courageous specifically because I think being authentic actually really is a courageous choice. It's, it's difficult to do in this day and age. Brene Brown puts it this way. She says, authenticity is a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's not just a, a switch, you flip. It's a collection of choices we make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real. The choice to be honest. The choice to let our true selves be seen. So the goal isn't just like, okay, I heard a sermon on authenticity and I'm just gonna like walk out to the street and like share my guts with every person that I meet on the street. Please don't do that. Like you'll get a weird look in a restraining order. Like that's not, the goal isn't just like anyone that you meet. But in the context though of safe community, people that you have relational equity with, we, we can begin to make those choices every day to let our true selves be seen. Personally, I don't, I don't think there's a better environment for that than what we call small groups. Small groups are essentially groups of six to 15 people. Uh, some of them meet here, some of them meet in homes, and they all meet for the sole purpose of doing life together, to live on mission together. And if you've never joined a group or you're not in a group now, I, I cannot encourage you enough to do so. In fact, we, we made it really, really easy for you to join one. If you text the word SGINFO for small group information to the number 31313, you can do it right now if you want. We'll send you back a link and you can fill out the form and uh, someone from our small groups team will get back to you ASAP. We can find a group that fits with your needs based on geography, based on calendar, based on your wiring. And and I'll tell you what, like joining a group is one of the best decisions I've ever made. It's not always been easy. Sometimes people have, have called me on my garbage. But it truly is one of the best decisions that I've made. Because we weren't made to live as silos. We were made to live for connection, for authentic connection. So I, I want to I challenge us to choose authenticity in three ways. The first is this, to choose authentic emotions. I think authenticity begins with us actually allowing ourselves to feel what we're feeling. I, I don't know how this happened, but like Christians tend to be the worst at this, actually. We often say things like, well, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, so I guess I can't be angry. The joy of the Lord. <laughs> authenticity begins by saying, man, I'm, like, I'm in the pit right now. It's allowing us to acknowledge, you know, that's anger. No, that's sadness. That's depression. 
That's apathy. That's doubt. That's confusion. It starts by just honestly acknowledging, what's, okay, so what's really going on in my heart? What's really going on in my head? If we're going to be authentic with others, we have got to start by being authentic with ourselves. Number two, uh, we can choose authentic words. So I'm sure no one here has ever done this. But have you ever met someone, though, that when asked how they're doing, they said fine when they weren't, in fact, fine? I know, people do this. Can you believe it? You're like, hey, how are you? You're like, fine. You're like, oh, you don't seem fine, man. Calm down. Like they were just screaming in the van on the way over, right? Again, this isn't just with every stranger that you meet on the streets. But we've got to choose authentic words. We've got to be honest with what's actually going on in our heart. In Galatians 6, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, and he said this. He said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, so without parsing any verbs here or anything, like how are we supposed to carry each other's burdens if we don't know what they are? And that, that text has a lot of gravity, doesn't it? He doesn't say, hey, carry each other's burdens uh, to be an A-plus Christian or do it if you want to, you know, ha- have a happier life. He says, no, 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 somehow mysteriously, when we actually like, are authentic with each other and we carry each other's burdens, there's a mysterious fulfilling of Christ's law when we do that. There's like this incarnate reality that happens that we're, we're not just like helping each other out. We're not just being good Samaritans. There's something deeply sacred and beautiful that happens. We say, hey, man, I know that you don't have all the answers and I don't mean to put you out, but man, I'm, I'm having a rough time. Could I just share with you a bit of what's going on in my heart? Man, when that happens, and if you've ever experienced it, you know this to be true. Something beautiful begins to happen, not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. Pay attention to the words that you're using. Pay attention when your speech is insincere. And honestly explore the beliefs that led you to say that. Like, why can't I be honest in this moment? Why did I, why did I just say fine when I know that I'm not actually fine? One exercise you can try with your group is this. You can fill in the blank. If you really knew me, you'd know this. Okay, so I know this isn't like a, like a mind-blowing graph, right? But this does two things. One, it gives you an opportunity to be genuine with the people that you do have relational equity with. But it also builds trust and confidence within your group or your community or your family. It's a great opportunity to, to just begin a conversation about like, hey, here's one thing about my life that, that might surprise you, that you might not know. Lastly, I want to challenge us to choose authentic actions. Now this, my guess, is, would look differently for different people. Like what exactly those actions look like. But I, I think that if we're really honest, if we pay attention to what's going on at our heart level, we know when we're acting out of sync with what's true of us. I think that's the Holy Spirit. Now a lot of us have spent a lot of our lives, like, burying those feelings way down deep, right? I'm, I'm Irish. Like, I know how to bury feelings, right? I grew up blue-collar, rust-belt, stoic, never let them see a sweat. But, man, it has been such a gift to begin to, begin to explore a little bit of, like, okay, I'm behaving this way, but if, if I'm really honest, I'm actually feeling something different entirely. What if, what if we began to be honest with ourselves and others about the actions we're choosing.
I think being authentic, to be honest, will at times mean making an unpopular decision. It means saying no when everyone's trying to pressure you to say yes. It also may mean like revealing parts of who you are that you'd rather keep hidden. Friends, I'm, I'm telling you, choosing authenticity is the way to living in the fullness of life. It'll help us grow in the meaningful relationships that we're created for. And as we, as we do the work together, we will strengthen each other in the Lord. We can remind each other of truth when circumstances are overwhelming, when our faith is failing, and we can strengthen one another in the Lord. Here's what it's all about for me, to be honest, because we could stop there and you would go home with like some to-dos, some action items. Oh, I think I have this barrier. I think I need to choose this authenticity. Ultimately, though, for me, it all comes down to Jesus. At the very center of the story of Jesus is not that we come to him arms full with like all the things that we can do for him. And we, we come to him arms empty. Say, I'm, I'm so in need of a savior. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you falling apart of the seams? Man, get in here. I'll give you not a list, but rest. And Jesus says that we get to opt out of the rat race of trying to pretend that we're smart enough or holy enough or successful enough. Whatever that thing is for you, we get to hop off of the treadmill of pretending like we're something other than we are. And the reason we can do that, you know why? Because Jesus already sees us. He sees us more fully and completely than we even see ourselves. And even with all of that, he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my beloved Get in here. There is life and fullness to be found in me. And man, when we can awaken to that truth, not not only will that change our hearts, but then we can look others in the eye and do the same. And we can strengthen one another in the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you that you love us with an unmatched love that your grace has no brim or bottom. God, whatever barriers we're wrestling through today, whatever thing we brought to the table this morning, whatever wall we're hiding behind, God, give us the courage to make that next decision to be authentic with our emotions, with our words, with our actions, and may we strengthen one another in you. We thank you, God, and we love you. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.